I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Young adult books popular among the middle school crowd have lots of familiar themes. Vampires, aliens, kidnappings, climate apocalypse, and often at the center is an orphan child left to save the world. I know this because I have a middle schooler in my house. Few and far between are storylines that touch on faith or religious practice. And that may be why a place at the table grabbed my attention and pulled me in as I met the characters. Two middle school girls, Sarah and Elizabeth. One is Muslim and the other Jewish. The story, they meet in cooking class and quickly find themselves paired up reluctantly to join forces in a cooking contest. It's one that challenges them in ways they never expected. The story unfolds in a medium-sized Midwestern town, and it captures the struggles of being in middle school, along with the nuances of growing up in bicultural homes. Unlike children's books that tend to avoid complicated themes, this young adult novel offers a glimpse into the lives of two young women trying to find out who they are, the meaning of friendship, and it includes their parents and their struggles. It's a story the co-authors would have wanted for themselves. There was just an urge from me to want to write the book that I would have wanted to read as a kid with a modern day, a contemporary kid who's um, in an interfaith family from a bicultural experience and, um, and explore that. But at the same time, part of me realized maybe that's not a story that I can tell by myself. Maybe this is a story for two people to tell, to give a broader view of what that experience is like. Laura Siobhan did just that. Two years ago, she met Sadia Faruqi, a Pakistani-American interfaith activist and children's writer from Texas. The two had entered a writing contest. And although Sadia didn't win, she did get to meet Laura. Laura was one of the mentors that year, and she agreed to kind of unofficially help me improve my manuscript at that time. And that's how I got to know her, just her generosity and willingness to help somebody who was just starting out. The collaboration turned into a friendship and a book, A Place at the Table. In this story, Elizabeth, a first-generation Jewish-American, and Sara, a first-generation Pakistani-American, meet in an after-school cooking class and become unlikely friends. They don't hit it off at first, but then they discover both their mothers are applying for U.S. citizenship, and the two form a shaky alliance and even make plans to win a spot on a local food show. And it's here in trying to concoct the most amazing cross-cultural dish, they test their skills and their friendship. This story weaves so many themes, food, family, and the lived experience of being a person of faith. For both women, this project was personal. I'm an immigrant to the U.S., and it was a long time ago, but it's been a long road to feeling as part of the country, obviously, as every immigrant does. And so I really identify more with Mrs. Hamid, Sarah's mother. But then my my kids are first-generation Americans. They're born here. They're growing up here. So everything that Sarah feels in the book is things that I have seen both my kids, my daughter, and my son go through. 
I had always wanted to write a story very loosely based on my own life growing up. My mother is an immigrant from England. She moved here in, I think, 1967. That's right. And married my father, who was a New Yorker from the Bronx and Jewish, and she converted when she moved here. And we lived in a very multicultural family, but it was a struggle in many ways. I felt growing up very connected to my British culture because we traveled quite often to see my grandparents. And yet when we were in England, my brothers and I were kind of an oddity for having brown eyes and we were called Yanks. So we felt very connected to that, but also very much other than that. And yet in America, we also, you know, being so connected to our mom's culture, that was a struggle. You know, Hebrew school was an odd place for us <laughs> um, because we were being raised mainly by a parent who was a convert and who wasn't as connected with Jewish culture as, you know, someone who was born into it. Are you concerned that this may not appeal to kids who are not first generation immigrants? I feel like part of it is the universal story of starting middle school and having this bigger pool of kids and having to sort of renegotiate the friendships. You know, are my friendships from elementary school going to continue in the same way when I get to sixth grade? Well, no, they're not. <laughs> but am I going to retain them, I guess, is the question. And then for Sarah's character, there's the additional level of being at a large public middle school for the first time. That shift from elementary to middle school is a time when kids are stepping outside of that kind of close-knit elementary school experience. And for many kids, it's a time when they're starting to see and establish who they are beyond their family, beyond their close-knit circle. Why is food so central and important in this book? Oh my gosh, so much about human nature. And one of the key things that I've learned in the last 20 years is that food really brings people together from very different perspectives or life experiences or religions. It's something that you can bond over. It's something that you can learn from. We have little kind of, you know, bits in the book throughout where Sarah's mom in the cooking club is cooking, say, a samosa. And Elizabeth says, oh, this is like something uh, we cook in the Jewish culture as well. So there's so much that can bring us together over food, over a table of food. You know, things that I've seen a lot of times my kids shy away from because it makes them feel different from their classmates or their friends. There's, there's so much that a lot of first generation kids kind of feel that they need to hide because it makes them feel different or look different. Um, and this is our way of saying it's really not it's something that can bring you closer together. It was Sadia's idea to bring in the food element. And it was really interesting to me because I learned from Sadia that a lot of women in particular who are immigrants have to bring and rely on their soft skills when they come to this country because their degrees or their certifications, their professional background might not transfer over. So that was one reason. But as we developed the characters for me, for Elizabeth, uh, the food is very symbolic. She is missing that um, that sense of nurturing from her mother who's going through this depression, from her father who travels quite a bit for work. And for her, being in the kitchen is symbolic of that family togetherness that she's missing so much. So she sort of gloms on to the 
Hamid family, because for her, they represent that closeness that comes when we're cooking together in the kitchen. Mm. And it's interesting because for Sarah, it's the complete opposite. The story actually starts out, the first line is, cooking is painful. For her, she's sick and tired of this cooking and this food because she wants something more American and she sees her own food as something that makes her stand out even more. She's trying not to stand out. She's trying to be American, but her family and especially her mom just insist on being very outspoken in their jobs. Her mom's a caterer and now is teaching a cooking class in her school. How embarrassing is that about this other kind of food? And so she wants to do everything to get away from it. You know, things that I've seen a lot of times my kids shy away from because it makes them feel different from their classmates or their friends. There's so much that a lot of first generation kids kind of feel that they need to hide because it makes them feel different or look different. Um, And this is our way of saying it's really not. It's something that can bring you closer together. There are scenes that don't shy away from bias and prejudice. Did either of you have any concerns or encounter any pushback as you were writing this? Sadia and I have been talking about this lately. An issue was raised about the scene where somebody calls Elizabeth's mother a shiksa, which is, a, I guess you could say it's a derogatory. It's not a nice thing to say. It's a term for a woman who's not Jewish, which, by the way, she is. And I think it's really interesting that there was a little bit of pushback on that, you know, from a perspective of somebody Jewish saying, do we really want to share that? And I had to say, and, you know, Sadia and our editor backed me up, that kids hear these things. They hear adults using these terms. That's how kids learn them. And I think it's important to have them in books because then kids have seen, what do I do when that happens? Another thing that we really wanted to bring to the story was how to be an ally, how to be a real friend, which means not just be a friend in terms of, you know, hanging out together, going to the mall together, or talking about stuff that you have in common, but really standing up to other people who might say something negative or feel not in the best way towards your friend. So we actually have scenes in the book where Sarah has to sit with Elizabeth and explain, hey, this happened and you just stood there. You were quiet. I need something else from you. I need you to stand up for me. Being a friend means standing up for someone. So really modeling, not just for our kid readers, but also our adult readers, what an ally is, how to be an ally, which means not just stand there when you see a microaggression or a full-blown incident, but really... Um, be able to stand up for that person, whether it's your friend or a stranger, and say, this is this is not okay. Can you give me an example from the book? It's just such a simple thing. It's just a saying that Elizabeth says, sugar and spice. And I'm sugar because I like to bake. And your spice because she doesn't say it, but because in her mind, Sarah cooks, her family cooks with a lot of spices. And, you know, she's 11. She's a young girl. And nobody's ever had her stop and think through how that might be um, perceived as offensive by somebody else. I'm curious, Sadia, do you feel like if someone said, um, I'm sugar, you're the spice, would would that feel like a microaggression to you? So definitely depends on, you know, who you are and whether you've had experiences. So much about microaggressions, I believe, is 
what your own life experience has been like. There are so many other instances in the book that are like that. Uh, for example, Maddie, who's Elizabeth's friend, keeps saying PLU, people like us. Um, it's, it's just, you know, why would you say that? I think the word normal really takes on a different meaning in this book. I think um, Elizabeth starts to realize that her friend Maddie is using the word normal to communicate dominant culture. And Elizabeth is just starting to realize, oh, that's what's going on. That's what me she means when she says normal. And I'm not okay with that because, you know, she, she's, she's saying that I'm okay even though I'm Jewish. Wait a second. That's not, that's not how a friend should behave. In each chapter, Sarah and Elizabeth work through their various issues, but you introduce conflicts and struggles of their parents. Elizabeth's mom is struggling with depression. Sarah's mom with financial stress. Why did you include or why rather was it important for you to include those in a middle grade novel? My mom struggled with a lot of depression and social anxiety, which was just exacerbated by being an immigrant. And, you know, when I hear from adults that they're connecting with the mother characters, both of the mother characters, that's really important to me because you know, it was a, in a way an opportunity to rewrite some of what my mom experienced. And Sadia and I have talked about, you know, so many middle grade stories, they joke about like the parents are either dead or the kids have somehow left the parents behind. And it was really important to us to have kids in this book who are in intact families where they have, although they're, they're, they struggle with their relationship with their parents, they have a strong relationship with their parents. The way I wrote it, or we wrote it, but the way especially I wanted to bring Sarah's parents' characters to life is having that showcase of the immigrant experience in particular as it relates to adults as well, because it would be only half a story if it was only Sarah's story or Elizabeth's story. Their story as first-generation kids is in part because of their parents' experiences as immigrants, as, as somebody who's other, as somebody who's struggling with whatever they're struggling in the case of Elizabeth's mom, um, uh, depression, in the case of uh, Sarah's family, financial difficulties that come from moving your entire family and, and living somewhere else and not being able to use your degree and not being able to get the job that you had in, in the country that you were born in. And all those things are what informs the children's story. So if we had not put that in and missed that, that would have been a very, I think, a disservice to our readers and to the story itself. You touch on a lot of third rails, race, religion, bias, but not politics. I'm curious, why is that not a bigger part of the story? There's an election day scene where both of the girls have gone with their fathers, who are both citizens, to vote. And there's some conversation in that scene about a conservative candidate and that that candidate who is an incumbent in the local election who hasn't been doing enough to um, address anti-Semitism that's happening where the girls live. So I feel like we addressed it in that way. But the politics, I feel personally, like for the age that they are, it, they're just beginning to be aware of the larger context outside of their families. Who did you write this for? First and foremost, I wrote this book for my kids. Also, I would have liked to have a book like this uh, when I was a new immigrant. And so I think that for me, it was definitely both 
the kids and especially the moms. The moms are huge characters in these books, equal to the kids, which is kind of um, not very common in children's books. It's interesting that you mentioned, Sadia, um, about kids doing everything in novels, because one of the pieces of feedback that I got from people I interviewed for the book was that for immigrant families, very often the kids are doing a lot of things, as you know, for their parents, because the first generation child can navigate American culture so much better than their immigrant parent can. So, you know, like I talked to a woman whose family came from Korea and she described helping her parents fill out tax forms because it was something that they couldn't navigate. So I think part of the the immigrant story and part of our story is the ways that first generation kids, I don't want to say that they parent the parents, but they're, they're kind of a, a liaison almost to American culture for their parents. And that puts them in a very different role. So for me, the, the readership is those kids, like the kids, the kids like I was who are bicultural, who are American, yet have this very strong connection to their family's culture of origin and what that experience is like. I just, when I was growing up, there weren't books like that. They just, they just really didn't exist. These friendships between kids who are navigating what it means to be American, what it means to be first generation American, and all of the the sort of the added stuff that comes along with that. There are a lot of scenes for both Sarah and Elizabeth heading to their respective houses of worship, synagogue, mosque, Hebrew school, Sunday school, uh, Muslim Sunday school, rather. I, I am curious, why was it so important for you to have so many of those kind of um, smaller moments? The fact that they're both from marginalized faith communities is a point of connection instead of a point of conflict between them. I want our book to be a source of comfort and coming together for people. And that's how we approached it. I think that that was just so important for me. And, and you know, just turned out that for this book, it was a, a perfect way to to showcase that. There's a scene when Elizabeth comes to Sarah's house for the first time and she opens the front door and in the hallway, there's a picture, you know, which you will see in so many Muslim houses. It's basically calligraphy. It's like, you know, something written in Arabic, maybe a verse from the Quran. And so many Muslim houses have something like that on their walls. And it would be very different, strange, unusual, especially in the time that we're at, maybe suspicious. But Elizabeth looks at it and she says, oh, I have something similar in my house too. My parents' marriage contract is similar. It just kind of like gives me the same vibe or feeling. And we put that in very deliberately because we wanted our readers, whether they're kids or adults, to be able to identify things that you might think are different, but maybe in a way they remind you of something else that's similar for you. And that is the way that we work together with people who we think are so different. Find something, whether it's food or art or anything, really, that you can find a commonality. You really wanted the characters to be believable. You didn't want that to throw off the reader. You know, people are flawed. What was one of the biggest flaws that Elizabeth and Sarah grappled with? I think for Elizabeth, um, that her biggest flaw, which she doesn't realize she has until later in the story, is she's very impulsive. And that impulsivity gets the girls in trouble. And when she gets an idea in her head, she doesn't 
stop and think how that idea is going to affect the people around her, her mother, her friend. I just finished listening to the audiobook and it was very interesting to listen to when they're talking about the recipe that they're creating. They talk about the fact that Sarah is a planner and Elizabeth is a doer. And that's tied into this idea that Sarah withholds a little bit more. She's more cautious and Elizabeth is more, like I said, impulsive and needs to learn to temper that a little bit and how it impacts the people around her. For Sarah, it was really this this deep-seated kind of anger that she had in her own life because of how she saw people treating her parents. In the story, she's always been to Islamic school, so she's not been in this environment where people have been mean to her because of her faith or her color or anything else up till now when the story starts. But she's seen how her parents have struggled and had things said to them and had to just be quiet and not not um, say anything back in a lot of ways. And that's made her a very prickly, often rude character because she doesn't want to deal with people. She doesn't have a good experience of the human race. That's so, so realistic for a lot of kids. I feel for the age group that we wrote for is the idea that friendship is complicated. So often we portray friendship between children as being an easy thing. And, you know, either somebody's your friend or they're your bully or your friend, kind of like Maddie, who suddenly stops being your friend and you don't know why. And Sadia and I have been talking quite a bit about the idea that these girls are on the cusp of young adulthood. And this is their first experience of having a friendship that they had to work at. They had to make a decision if this new friend was important enough in their life to put effort into it. And I think Elizabeth's mother even says that to her at some point. You know, you have to make a decision if this friendship is worth putting time and effort into, if it's a friendship that you value and you think is worth your time. And our book recognizes the fact that kids are human beings and they struggle in their friendships sometimes and to honor the idea that some friendships are definitely worth putting the time and the effort into it's not like i'm gonna pat them on the head and say oh it'll all blow over by tomorrow as the author as a mom it's more about recognizing the fact that this is very real for them and that they do have to work at it and in a way it's their first sort of not quite, but almost adult friendship as two young women. Laura Siobhan is the author of the award-winning middle grade novel, The Last Fifth Grade of Emerson Elementary. She is also a poet in the schools of Maryland. Sadia Faruqi is a Pakistani-American author, essayist, and interfaith activist. She writes the children's early reader series, Yasmin, published by Capstone. That's all for this week's episode. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Our producer this week was Kevin McCarthy. Our episode included interviews recorded in 2020. If you would like to learn more about us, visit interfaithradio.org. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast. Just search Interfaith Voices while you're there leave a review. It helps others find us. Next week, we take a closer look at the humanitarian response to the crisis in Afghanistan, the political events unfolding, and the perspective of Afghan Americans. 
I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well. And I hope to see you next week. Next week.